We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to make a special announcement about Season 5. We're going to change the format just a little bit. We still are going to have guests, and we still are going to tell stories, but for Season 5, I am going to walk some courageous souls through the Finding Peace worksheet, a copy of which you can find in the Finding Peace workbook, which is available on Amazon. If you would like to be one of those courageous souls, then I just need you to go to findingpeaceconsulting.com forward slash podcast. There, you'll find a button that takes you to an application where you can be considered as one of these amazing, courageous, beautiful souls that are going to bless the lives of a lot of people as you do the work. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is my sincere hope that you find support, solutions, and solace here. Serena Andrea is one of my favorite people. I met her a couple of months ago at a breathwork training, and the energy she had was remarkable. Serena has developed an embodied and soulful approach to feminine storytelling, guiding women to claim their wisdom, their voice, and their aliveness. Her fascination with the She-Rose journey has led her to explore and perform myths, fairy tales, and legends of diverse cultures. She brings over two decades of storytelling experience, embodiment and breathwork practices, sensual awareness, soul crafting, and in-depth work with master storytellers, colleagues, clients, and students. One of the groundations of her work is the Universe Monologues, where she creates a safe space for all stories to be told, regardless of age, religion, ethnic background, or gender identity. Serena is dedicated to fanning the wind under any woman's wings so that she can experience her wholeness and her unique aliveness, so that every woman can bring the gifts of her unique she-rose journey pleasurable or painful, into her community at this extraordinary time on this fragile planet. Please join me in welcoming Serena Andrea. Thank you for being with me today. I'm really excited that you're here. Oh, thank you. A divine appointment that we are making happen from that seed experience. Part of what the show is all about is telling stories, and you are a storyteller. So I was wondering if you could tell us how you got started in becoming a storyteller and and where that's led you and what you do with your gift. 
How far back in the story do you want me to go? However far back you want to go. (laughs) (laughs) Storytelling really began with my family because both of my parents are from Germany. Mm -hmm. And so the very first stories I remember hearing were how my grandparents emigrated to the United States. And living in a small town in Northern California, like Europe was like a magical wonderland. And that my grandfather had come over on Ellis Island with a cold and that he was stuck on the island, unable to speak English, not with his parents. He came when he was 15. Wow. And his brother wasn't supposed to meet him until after he got off the boat in Chicago. To hear stories like how he navigated that with his soccer ball in tow, right? Mm. Those were the stories I grew up with. I didn't really get to, I don't, I don't know if I didn't get to, or I don't remember any like stories um, that my parents told from storybooks. I'm sure they read them, but it was the, my family's um, traveling adventure stories that got inside of me as a kid. And the fact that my dad was the most amazing joke teller. He he could sit and tell a joke, like string it out, like like milk it for everything for like five minutes before he got to the punchline. And even though everybody kind of knew where it was going, right? It was the way his eyes sparkled and the way he'd use his hands. He would just capture the entire table with his charisma. And I just grew up watching that and I wanted to be like that because I was really shy. Mm. And I think that almost every, everyone I meet who wants to learn how to tell stories with me has had someone in their family that was a storyteller, Mm. that was like the family historian that would tell the stories. And um, they're either gone now, right? Um, Or they, they're just not in contact with them anymore. And so they have this sense that there is storytelling in their family and they want to kind of pick up that thread again. That's beautiful. My first exposure to storytelling was, um, I was a kid. I remember going to the library and getting a record from the library of a woman who told a story. Um, And I memorized the story that she told and then I would tell the story to other kids and other people. I still remember the story. Now they I was probably eight. Um, that, what was it called? Uh, it was called Tilly. It was about a little girl who couldn't go to sleep and so she mm-hmm. would imagine uh, something crawling out, climbing up the stairs every night um, and it would scare her. And then she'd go to bed. (laughs) Um, But that uh, was my first exposure, really, to the story. As you were talking, my family did still tell stories. Like, I remember stories about my great-grandmother immigrating to the United States as well. But not really a lot of storytelling. That, That same delight in hearing the stories captured my soul like yours did. So I can resonate with Mm. just wanting to be able to do that too, to share that. Where did that take you, that desire to tell stories 
how did that blossom? How did you mm-hmm. use that as you began to grow up and become an adult? I was recruited to work at an elementary school, an alternative elementary school that taught the students through the art of storytelling. And I didn't know anything about storytelling. Um, so those students were were my first teachers who taught me, <laughs> who were my audience and practicing. And the way it worked was similar to what you did, you just described about your experience. I would find a story that would teach them some piece of the curriculum. And at that time, I was taking them on hikes outside. So I'd find stories about trees, about the ecosystem, about photosynthesis, lots of Native American stories about critters and the way nature worked. And I would read the book, and then I would try and memorize it as best I could. And then I would retell it to my students while we were on a hike or when we were working in the garden. And I would always leave something out of the story, right? I would always be in the story, and then the kids would be like, you know, playing around or joking, or I'd get interrupted. And then I'd tell it again, I'd forget something, and I'd be like, oh, my God. I'd get like almost like to the punchline of the story, right? Like my dad's jokes. And I'd be like, oh my God, I forgot something. And so in the moment, you know, there's no redo. So I would just reach back and pull that part of the story forward and just weave it in any way I could to make the story come out. And I found that no one really knew, right? No one, none of my students had the original story. So they were hearing it for the first time. And so I discovered the art of weaving. And in the before times, that's what they used to call storytellers, is weavers. And I would just weave in different things. And then it started to evolve because I'd read a story, but it was sort of like the bare bones of stories, like Native American stories, African stories. Some of the oldest stories that have been written down um, were written from an oral tradition, right? So... Whoever wrote these stories or chronicled these stories oftentimes were gathering fragments of different stories that they had heard and putting them together. So they're missing a lot of like the meat on the bones of them. So I would read some of those stories, right? Check out the books from the library. And then I'd be outside in nature telling to my students. And as I would be talking about the trees of the story and I'd be looking at trees, I'd gather some of the details of the green of the leaves, of the sun dappling through, right? And I just gather some of the elements and I pull them and weave them into the story and they would just become way more alive. And of course, my students would be enchanted with the like, is the story happening right? They wouldn't say it, right? But is it happening now or is it before? And I noticed I could weave them into a kind of enchantment where they would stop fidgeting They would stop poking at each other. They would pay attention. And as a teacher, that's just like, oh. Right. Right? Have them in the palm of my hand. Um, So that's how I started. And I was with that school for over six years, taking kids on backpack trips and summer programs. And so I was just practicing and practicing all the time. You bring up a really interesting part of storytelling one of my mentors who taught me how to tell stories said you can share facts or you can tell a story that includes those facts and it's so much more interesting 
keeps the person's attention when you tell a story around the facts versus just some bullet points about some facts that put everybody to sleep. Yeah, and even um, it even lights up different parts of our brain because when we're talking, when we're in that kind of logical part of our brain, right? There isn't a lot of sensorial detail. There isn't mm-hmm. a lot of color or texture. But that's really what makes stories magical. It makes us feel something as we're listening. It it invokes a kind of sense of being, right? as we're in the story and then it keeps us interested of like what's going to happen next and originally like in the way way before times as I got more into story I started doing more research like who are the storytellers why where did it come from what are what's the history of it and in the before times storytellers were in charge of remembering things Mm -hmm. so oftentimes when they told stories for example, like where to go for the buffalo, right? Or how to bring the berries back. These stories that were embedded with indigenous wisdom on how to be in balance with the natural world. That was like the focus of their stories. That's why they tell them over and over to teach the children, right? And so in order for the children to listen, to want to know, they, they made them come alive with all these sensorial details, smells and touches and tastes, and, and to wake up, basically, right, this intelligent brain that can reimagine anything it wants to. And so that was the job or the role of the storyteller in addition to also being the shamans and the shamanesses of the villages. And they knew that um, if a village were sick or a person in the village was sick, that it was likely that they were disconnected from their body or the body of the earth. So they would tell stories to invoke memory, sensation, feeling, so that they could their soul would come back alive. Mm. And in order to do that, right, it's not a linear brain thinking it's a full body enchantment mm-hmm. induction into um like a world that's living parallel with ours i i love how you say that that they would tune into people who were sick when they were disconnected and that's one of the the main principles of what we talked about on the podcast a lot is being connected and when those connections break the wounds that happen the attachment wounds as i call them that lead people to feel depressed feel physical ailments of all kinds of different things when they're disconnected and when we can get that alignment it it brings it back and there's so many different ways to do that i love that story is one of the ways to do that Mm. how do you How do you use story to help people connect? Well, what happened was I was telling all these myths and fairy tales and legends, and then I started being invited to birthday parties as the entertainment. Mm. But because it was a birthday party of a dear friend of mine, I knew some of the details of their life. And so I would take some details of their life and I'd weave them into the story. So the shero or the hero of the story would look like 
the birthday boy or girl. And then I was having these um, reflections after the party. My friends would come up to me like, how did you, like, it felt like you were telling my life story. Like, how did you do that? And I'm like, well, I just did the thing that storytellers do, right? But I reconnected them to the mythopoetic experience of their life instead of just telling the facts. I even did for uh, two dear friends of mine who got married. I interviewed both of them about their true life story, where they came from, what they went through, and then how they met. And then I I created a myth around that I told for their wedding. And what I started to discover was that true life storytelling, personal stories, was a way to help people reconnect with parts of their past that they had um, fragmented from. And that's when I started to deepen my study into trauma and Mm -hmm. how does trauma impact our view of ourselves, our view of our history, what happened, how do we tell the story of us in a way that's compassionate and healing instead of the same story over and over again about what didn't go right, how wrong it went, how much we were hurt by it, and not leave out those details, but bring them into a story that's more compassionate. Mm. Telling a different ending? Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, sometimes what happens with trauma is that we're not able to fully take in the experience that we had in our past. We didn't have the skill. We weren't mature enough. We didn't have all the facts, right? So if we don't have all the pieces of the past, then we're concocting an ending that's not fully true. So one of the things I started doing with my storytellers is taking them and doing exercises with them where they could explore the past and explore what had happened. So for example, in my uh, longer storytelling program, we start with our birth stories. And I have my students go back and interview anyone who was there, mm-hmm. right? Their mom's experience, their dad's experience, their grandparents' experience, midwives, who, whoever was there, to, right, to find the whole story. Because mm-hmm. obviously, if you were being born, there's some details you just didn't get. Right. Or your parents keep telling a part of your birth story over and over again, but it's just from their perspective. And if your parents are divorced or you only talk to your mom about it, like, so I send them back to gather all the facts. And inevitably what happens is they all get a different perspective on their birth. Mm-hmm. Right? Some story about their dad not being present. Then they find out, right? Well, at that time, it was illegal for dads to come into the hospital room. So he was there, but he couldn't get in. Right? Mm-hmm. They start to find out details about their parents' relationship that caused stress or tension, which might have led to right, a difficult birth. They find out um, the blessings that they missed. Mm-hmm. What happened when they actually got home from the hospital? How many people came to visit? What, how were they blessed by their grandparents? So they start to get like a bigger picture of mm-hmm. their own true life story. And that starts to impact their whole story. 
right? Because how a story begins, the origin of the story, right? The beginning of it, the in, the crack of the egg, so to speak, the cosmic egg, right? That's the beginning of how anything starts. So if we don't have our birth stories correctly, and we're not telling ourselves that correctly, then it impacts the rest of our lives. That, I, I couldn't agree more. In another episode that is coming up before this one, um, I go through the attachment wounds and one of them, I share my birth story. I, I think, you know, I was adopted um, oh. and I never knew my birth story because uh -huh. my birth story um, happened five days after when my parents came to pick me up from the hospital. So um, when I met my birth mother and she told me the story, it did change a lot of things. It added a perspective that I didn't have before. And it mm. added depth and it made me appreciate her love and her uh, what she went through and gave me empathy in a way that I didn't have before. So as you're as you're saying that yeah, yeah, getting more information, getting a bigger story, I can see why that would be so powerful for somebody to explore mm. that. Mm. Thank you. Oh, that's so good that you got to meet her. Yeah, it's been a beautiful experience. Mm. Mm. So you you worked in an elementary school and you you kept learning about storytelling and when did you get the courage to say, I'm going to teach some people how to tell stories? And oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was working in elementary school, and then I had been doing that for about 15 years, and mm. I was getting tired. <laughs> I was getting tired. <laughs> uh, my knees were giving out. I loved children, but I was getting sick all the time mm. and their colds and all the things. And I was like, do I really want to do this when I'm 60? Mm. How can <laughs> I, how can I do something different? And then I got invited to tell in a arts festival in my hometown in Santa Cruz at the time to tell a story. And there were all these artists flooding in from all over the country into this little town. So there was musicians and magicians and storytellers and songwriters and all, kind, all kinds of things. And I went to everyone I could, just like gobbling up, right, what was happening creatively in the world. And I was astonished that there were two shows that were sold out every night when all of the rest of the shows just had like a handful of people in it. I was like, what is it about those two performances? And one performance was a burlesque of young girls who stripped down just to like nipple tassels and little shorty shorts. And the other show was a one woman show of her um, working in a BDSM studio for one night before she just couldn't take it. Mm. And in those audiences were everyone, like gray-haired men all the way down to, to young people. Everybody was so curious. And I sat back and I was just like, what is it about those two shows that's attracting everyone's attention, making them so fascinating? Hmm. 
what could I create that would have some of that juice to it? And so obviously one of them was sex or sensuality, right? Of the feminine that people were so curious about. And then there was this storytelling piece of the one woman show. And I was like, what could I do that wouldn't sell women out as sexual objects, but actually lift them up? Mm. And then of course, I remember the vagina monologues and I was like, didn't, didn't Eve Ensler do something like that? So I went back and I watched all of what she had done and it was my idea. I was just like, Oh my God, it was almost exactly what I was thinking. And I didn't, so I had to reinvent. So in, instead of me gathering all kinds of women's true life stories, I was like, what if I took regular everyday women in my community and I supported them to tell their true life story so they could have a transformation, telling their own story, owning their experience. And I had a hunch there'd be some healing involved, but I didn't know how. So I literally put out the notice to my local women's circle and I had 14 women just be like, I want to tell my story. Hmm. I was like, oh my God, really? Hmm. Like, it happened hmm. like that. Um, so we did it in three months. We, we practiced our stories amongst ourselves. We put on a show and it sold out. Everybody wanted to know what was inside of a woman. And I coached them into right, this kind of investigation of looking back into their past with a new perspective. What if the thing that happened to them in the past um, was both a blessing and a blessing in disguise. What if by telling a story just focused on their own experience, not shaming or blaming anyone in their story, what would transform? And that was the task that I said to all of them because I wasn't creating a stage for women to vent on their, their ex-husband or to, um, you know, just, just, pour out all their pain and suffering of their childhood. It had to be from a place of owning their experience to the best that they could. Mm-hmm. And they did it. We did it. Mm-hmm. That's one of the powerful things of story is when you can create that arc. And you'll know what that means. Some people don't know what that means, but that there's a transition. There's something that changes in the person from the beginning of the story to the end. And that is part of what I think we are most fascinated in of what is it that changed in you and and you helped them tell their story and tell their truth and explore in ways that um, wasn't just in the negative energy but there was a shift there was an arc is what I'm hearing yeah every good story I mean, if you just think about the stories that we all are fascinated with, mm-hmm. Star Wars completely was the, right, the trilogy that captured the whole world. Right. Um, Harry Potter, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Everybody wants to be on those story adventures. And in those stories, you have a reluctant hero in those stories, right? Mm-hmm. And... In all of us, we have a reluctant hero or shiro, right? Mm-hmm. We, we have self-doubt. We don't know if we can, you know, 
have the children, have the marriage, have the job, get over cancer, birth our babies, um, help our father die. Like all the things that we're faced with where we're like life is pulling out, trying to pull out the best in us to get through a true life experience. We all suffer from some kind of like, I don't know if I can do it. And a good story takes us on the adventure of how that one found the courage, found the strength, found the tenacity, got beat down, dusted themselves off, got back up again. Okay, that, that's what, because when we hear stories like that, when, when we identify with a character in a story as going through something that we go through in our life, then we're like, oh, well, if you can do it, I right. can do it too, right? Like I've got a Darth Vader in my life. I want to be a Jedi, right? <laughs> exactly. Right? And so when you tell a story from that kind of perspective and then you bring in all the emotional quality to it, because being a human is complex. There's no manual. We're all designed so differently. And so there isn't just one route for all of us. And I think that's one of the things that plagues a lot of psyches is like there's just one way to get through life. And my life is supposed to look a certain way. And I want to go from A to B and I want to land in C, right? Beginning, middle, and end. One and done. Woohoo! Which is why what you were talking about is story arc, right? When stories do have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and things feel like wrapped up or something feels like it transformed or changed or moved forward, our body relaxes. We're like, because ah, our nervous system actually also needs to calm down. There's lots of studies that talk about listening to stories um, invokes oxytocin, adrenaline. Like we, our brains are so powerful at imagining. When you were talking about the story of, your mom and how you met your birth mom. Like I was in there trying to imagine you and your face younger meeting your mom and right. I, Cause I was just all, that's how we do it. That's why I always tell my students, you know, um, we've only been reading for 5,000 years. It's something that we had to be taught, but we've been telling stories for over 15,000 years. So our brain is actually wired to understand story, to feel them, to experience and imagine them. So they're super powerful. And we do it for our own benefit. We want to listen to other people's stories so we can find out how to navigate our experiences. Mm -hmm. And I love that you chose to empower these women to tell their story instead of you collecting their stories and then telling them for yourself. You empowered them to tell it. I think there's something really powerful about that. That's been the biggest, biggest blessing of the universe is that I've been able to walk alongside these women in their transformations and support them to tell the truth about their life, what they believe in, what they think, even telling the truth about where it hurt and watching them like shake this heavy blanket of shame. Mm -hmm. Women take on so much in their relationships, so much responsibility for how people are feeling and the health 
of the people that they love. And we're just wired like that, right? Our biology is wired like that. So when relationships end or when they end badly, women take that on and um, carry that shame around for years and decades that they should have been able to. And I'm not saying that men don't do this as well. Um, I've talked to many men who are still processing or healing from their divorce or from a bankruptcy. Um, but I notice that women take an awful lot of responsibility onto themselves and it ends up stopping them from whatever's next in their life because that, that feels like an undone story. And so to, to support each woman to walk, I mean, at this point I've worked with every woman from 20 to 80 Wow. So you can imagine the variety of experiences in different developmental stages of their life of how far they even have to look back in their past. <laughs> some of them have a long way to look back and some of them have a short history. But what I've seen is when a woman tells her true life story and she's witnessed by her community, magic happens. And again, it's a before time remedy. Like that Joseph Campbell talks about the hero story when the hero goes out into the world and he faces the ordeal and he comes back with his treasure to the kingdom and then the kingdom is healthier for it. Mm-hmm. And so if you've had an experience where you haven't been able to find the, the medicine of your story and bring it back to your community and share it, there's a missing piece. Right? Right? And shame and trauma are two of the things that will keep you from bringing anything back if you feel like you failed. Mm-hmm. Right? What, what are you supposed to bring? What, what's the learning from that? And so The story, who wants to hear that? Nobody wants to hear that, right? Where there's lots of people who want to hear that. There are. And that was a big surprise because when I first started the Yoniverse, right, I was hoping to lift women up with their power, with their creativity, with their charisma, like, look at all these, look at this variety of women, there's so many ways to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, my intention was to kind of just break the bubble that um, women carry around comparing ourselves to each other, that there's like mm-hmm. only one way to be a woman. But then as I did the universe year after year, I discovered that there was so much um, sexual violence and sexual abuse mm-hmm. that women experience in their lives so much more than I'd ever realized. And then I thought, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? Something really important. Mm. Yeah, something really important. Mm-hmm. I had to do some training. I had, I, to, I had to do some homework, um, deepen my experience with trauma and what happens in the body. Um, and luckily, I had already had an embodiment practice that I was using for my own trauma. Mm-hmm. And so I started sharing that and creating practices for my storytellers mm-hmm. and discovered that a lot of stage fright is actually... Um, developmental trauma Mm. one of the reasons we don't speak up on stage or we don't use our voice is because somewhere in our past when we spoke up at the dinner table when we spoke up to our parents about someone we wanted to date whatever we were punished and 
ridiculed or shamed for speaking and being different than the family. Mm-hmm. So that translates into being an adult. And it translated to me too, because I had terrible stage fright. Mm. I mean, the, I would never know that today. <laughs> the ease of which I'm speaking to you right now. Like I, 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 there's still part of me tracking how mm. comfortable I feel just being right human with you, just being myself, quirky, making things up, right? Then when I used to be, I'd be so terrified that I had to say it the right way and I had to do the right thing and be checking in on you and am I taking up too much space and all the things. And a lot of that gets healed when we're in a safe enough container to speak the truth about our own experience. Mm-hmm. And you used a word that's really important. You used the word witnessed, witness, where people witness that. Um, they hold space for that. They see it, they hear it without judgment. Yeah. Um, and I was watching some of the videos that you posted and some of them, in, including you, share some very personal experiences around sex, which I'm sure make some people really uncomfortable. And yet I say the courage to be able to be free enough to have a voice and talk about a very important part of life that happens that we've been told. We You used objectify earlier. We objectify and we sensualize, sensationalize, but we don't, we're not real about it. And to be able to just have the realness, the heart around that, to see the humanity in it was beautiful and courageous and giving somebody to have, giving somebody space to, to speak their truth and have other people hold space. I can't think of some, anything more important for humans in their healing than that. Mm, thank you. And thank you for being a witness to those stories. Mm-hmm. I, so appreciate, I so appreciate you as um, a human and as a man and watching. You know, when we did these stories live, before COVID, um, half of our audience were men. And mm. it was, again, another level of healing, right? That women would, mm. uh, sorry, that men would come up to us after the show and they would barely be able to speak. They'd just be like, thank you. I had one man come up to me, him and his wife had been married like 50 years. And he said, I learned more about my wife tonight through all of your storytellers than I've learned from her telling me herself. Wow, that's profound. Yeah. And the and the the real challenge for me at the time, not only did I have stage fright, but I was brought up Catholic. Mm. So when I first conceived of this idea, I never planned to tell my own story. Mm. No, that wasn't I, my idea was I was going to be behind the scenes and I was mm. going to support all the women to do it. <laughs> but that is not what happens. Nope. <laughs> so, I'm such an experiential learner. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't ask all these women to be so courageous and go beyond what their family thinks and feels about them and go beyond what their friends and family think about them and disclose things about their internal private life. Call something the universe, for God's sake, without actually doing it myself and knowing. Right. right. So. I had to do all that. And yeah, the sexuality piece um, does make people uncomfortable. But what I notice is that um, 
the storytellers themselves are crafting stories with so much grace mm -hmm. that they're telling the parts of their stories that are the most important and they're not they're not interested right in sensationalizing selling themselves out mm -hmm. so it comes across differently like even when i told my story about um going to the gynecologist like i was like i i don't know if i can tell this story because i mean talk about personal um but it was such an important story and i remember um being in a group of storytellers. And I was practicing telling my story with my students and I was having all the feels, like my stomach was in a knot, I was feeling fidgety, all the voices were like, this is a stupid story to tell, it's like, what do you, it's not worth telling, like all the things were happening. So I told the story and like one woman cried, another woman got up to her feet and gave me a standing ovation, another woman was taking notes, she's like, what was your doctor's name? I wanna go see them. I, I, I felt the impact, right? Wow. And I was like, okay, so if I can impact three women, right, I can impact more. I have to tell, right? And I think, I believe, um, I, I don't like to get political. It, it, it hasn't been my background, but I, I realize I have been a social activist my whole life. Mm -hmm. um, working with kids, we used to plant redwood trees we used to um go clean up the beach there's always been some part of my career where i've wanted to give back and now more than ever um, with roe v wade being overturned and more than half of the humans on the planet being women mm -hmm. um, i feel more committed than ever to support women to speak up because when a woman speaks up for herself in her own life her family changes. Right. When her family changes, her interactions with her community change. It's a ripple effect. And I've seen it happen. I've seen women come to the universe to tell a story who've never had a girlfriend, like no friends at all, suddenly be like, oh my God, here are 12 women I can totally trust. Mm -hmm. I've seen a woman who had writer's block write a whole musical album in the universe and then go on to have this stunning vocal career where she's now her voice is free. Wow. Yeah. Because right. There's they're they're able to get that witnessing in a safe place and it feels like their medicine is wanted. Mm -hmm. That's one of the story. Uh, that's one of the lessons that I hope people can hear as they're, they're listening to you. There's a, there's a shame-based message that says that I don't have a story to tell or nobody really wants to hear my story. Nobody would be interested. And that's not true. Mm. You have a story and there are people on the planet that need to hear your story. Exactly. Because, exactly. Because it's, there's something about your experience that's going to bless their life. They need to hear your story. Mm. They are blessings. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. There's no, there's no way to crush a spirit quicker than saying you don't matter. Mm -hmm. right? you, what happened to you doesn't matter. It's one of my big complaints with modern day psychology when they're like, you know, don't, it's no story. It's not about the story. 
Well, it's not about the story, but it's not without the story either. This is how right. humans make sense of their lives. Yeah, the texture, the color, the sounds, the smells, it's all part of making sense of the story. We have to be able to tell that part. Yep. And we don't tell stories about things that we don't love. No. What we've loved and lost is the is the main theme of almost every story. Yeah. So if we stop telling stories about things, like for example, a lot of women tell stories about relationships ending, divorces, betrayals, right? They're not telling them because they want to relive the horror of it. They're telling it because they love that other human being so much. And if they don't keep telling that story, then they cease to exist in their, in their psyche and in their world. Right? That's why children are like, tell me that story again. Tell me that story again. Because they love it. Right. Right? There's love there. Yeah. Wow. This has been so, so beautiful. And um, I met you when I went to the breathwork training and the energy that you had there, I needed that. I was scared to death. I'd, I'd done one experience with breathwork before um, and I didn't know anybody and you were so welcoming and you um, tuned into me and I'm, you blessed my life. And so I'm just grateful that you were willing to hang out with me for a little while today. Yes, you are so easy to love, Joy, then and now. Oh, thank you. I can't imagine how much courage that must have taken because that training was so intimate, right? Mm -hmm. and so, on so many levels, so intimate. And to be that intimate with that many strangers, yeah. I'm very grateful. And there are some people that I still am connected with because of that. So I'm so, I'm so blessed. That's fabulous. And you were very much a part of that. Uh, one, one experience that we had is we're tuning into our emotions. <laughs> we're doing body stuff, moving around. And I'm like over there in the corner and you're like, um, what's going on? And, uh, and, you helped me explore a little bit, a part of myself that I haven't let open up hmm. hardly at all. And I'm very grateful for that. You just asking some gentle questions. And I would imagine that's how you do it with your, when you're coaching storytellers, you ask gentle questions hmm. and let them sit with it until it comes up. Hmm. And there's stories under all of that. So I just hmm. want to tell you, thank you. Mm. Mm. Welcome. Welcome. Oh. One of the things that we do at the end is I ask a series of questions for the listener, uh, or for the for our podcast listeners. But I ask you ten questions. I call, I don't know why I call them the speed round questions because they're not intended to be answered in a speedy way. So I should probably come up with a better term for that. But, <laughs> You ready for me to ask you them? All right. What is one thing about you that surprises people? That I'm shy. Mm. That would surprise me. 
<laughs> but I can totally relate to that. People don't believe that about me either. I'm like, I am very <laughs> We've all faced a major decision in our lives that has resulted in us choosing to take a left turn instead of going right. When were you faced with such a dilemma and how did that work out for you? I think my choice to become an artist was an important crossroads for me. Come from a family of blue collar workers who at the time stayed with the company until they retired. Mm. And so to break the starving artist archetype was a big deal. Not just to become an artist, but actually to devote myself to doing it full out. And I find myself at that crossroads again and again in my career. Like, am I going to keep doing this? Am I going to keep um, devoting myself to carving my own path? Because it takes a certain kind of strength and tenacity. And actually being on this call with you, talking about like the far past and how it came is giving me strength again. Like, wow, I've been doing this for a long time for the good of my community. I'm sure you have blessed thousands of people's lives. Mm. And the ripple effect has blessed hundreds of thousands. So, mm. Oh, I love that image. What book are you reading right now? Um, well, I'm in the middle of three audiobooks. <laughs> Me too. That's how I read books nowadays. That's what I'm trying to read. What are you listening to? Um, one of the um, books I'm listening to is called The Shaman Mm. Um, and it's so interesting because this gentleman's experience um, and practices are a combination like of imagination and dance and I'm a huge Mm -hmm. dancer Mm -hmm. Um, and now that COVID is um, letting us be out more I'm dancing more and so Mm -hmm. his book is really having an impact on me it's beautiful. Is it like an autobiography or? Yeah, um, the it's called the Shaman. Um, his last name is Yakov. I want to say Love, but that's your last name. I can find maybe, it for you. Maybe he has it too. No, I, I can. That's awesome. When have you felt the most alive? On the dance floor, because I'm a full, I'm a full like sensorial creature. So like having a soundtrack that's matching my emotions, I'm able to make movements in freedom and then connecting with other humans. Like that's just about as good as it gets. Mm. Yeah, I've watched you do that. It's fun watching you do that. <laughs> <laughs> If you were going to spend the rest of your life on an island and could only bring one item of personal significance, what would that be? One item. Can I hold it in my hand? Can it be bigger than me? Yes. It could be anything. It could be large. Yeah. A dog that never dies. (laughs) Aw. 
Yeah, I won't watch dog movies because they always die in the end. So I'm watching. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> I'm not watching a dog movie. I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I like that. I like that. That's what <laughs> um, name a person or a teaching that has had a profoundly positive impact on your life. You know, I think it's um, Thich Nhat Hanh's um, teachings on anger that really impacted me. Mm. I'd never heard anyone say before him to treat your anger like a baby and really bring it into yourself. It was always such a negative thing, especially for women to be angry. And um, that really helped me in a time in my life where I was feeling a lot of anger and struggling to make healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. I love his work. That's beautiful. What is a daily practice that you must do every day? Sit on the earth. Mm. I've been um, I've been making it a practice to go out every day and sit in the garden under the trees and have my tea instead of sitting on the couch or dwindling on my phone. Like to go actually and just sit on the ground and have my tea, and um, it makes a huge difference to be that connected to the ground mm -hmm. um, as opposed to be in the house. Mm. That is a quick, that's an answer that a lot of people have said, going out and being connected to Earth. There's something profound about that. What's one question that you wish that I had asked you, and how would you have answered it? Wow. Um, maybe a question about like, one of my most transformative moments on stage telling a story. What was one of your most transformative moments on stage when you were telling the story? It's so fun because it's like like the highlights of my life, right? I've been some of them have been on stage. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you about my most recent one because it was pretty powerful. I. Um, was having dreams about a rainbow bird. And I was planning on going to Mexico and I didn't know that the feathered serpent myth is from the part of Mexico I was going to. Mm. I just knew I was going to Mexico, but I didn't know they were related. And so when I got to Mexico, I started having visions and then I started doing research while I was there and talking to people and getting as many details as I could. 
um, about what is the feathered serpent. And we even went, a local man took us to the place where the myth was actually supposedly, it came from. But like a lot of the indigenous cultures, they've been um, fragmented and colonized. So I picked up whatever I could. And then I did some research online. So I was weaving it back together. And then I got an opportunity to go tell a story on summer solstice. And so I'm like, I guess this is the story I'll tell because it's hot and it's on top. And so I wove it together from facts I found on the internet, right? Places I'd been in Mexico and also these visions that I was having. But what I didn't know is that when I climbed on stage, there were going to be two indigenous women from Mexico in the audience. Mm. And as soon as I saw them, because they had their costume on, I was like, oh, my God. Mm. I don't know if I have this right. Mm. What if this is like so far from what they know in their their mythology and I'm going to be insulting them, right? Mm. And how do I deal with that happening and still stay in my center and tell the story? Because there was like 200 people there. So I did tell the story. I did capture everyone. It was incredible. I felt alive in the story. I felt like the little ones were leaning in. People in the back were crying. Like it was all happening. And then after I went and found them. And I just had one question, right? Did I get it right? Did I leave anything out? Please tell me. And um, one woman was translating, the younger woman was translating for the older woman. So she told me one thing that she didn't think I should put in the story. And I said, fine, it's gone. I'll leave that part out. And it wasn't because I got it wrong. There was just way more history mm-hmm. to the particular detail about um, the way they make sacrifices to their gods that I just didn't, I couldn't know all the details. She's like, yeah, don't do that. But then she spoke to a detail that I, I had added from my visions about uh, this obsidian egg that wasn't anywhere. I didn't find it anywhere. That it was just in my imagination. She's like, that, that's really important. And I was like, I was just dumbstruck. I was like, oh, my God, did that really just happen? I mean, for a storyteller to, to be face-to-face with the indigenous culture that I'm hoping to represent, right? And for to have them fact-check me and then bless me, I, I, I ended up just getting on my knees after that and just having a really good cry. I was like, whoa, amazing. That's amazing, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. What does finding peace mean for you? Finding peace to me means being able to come to peace with the past. For what I chose and what I didn't choose. Where I didn't know what I didn't know. For wanting to make something different than it was. Like all the the ways I've been um, relating to my relationships, my blessings, my opportunities. to, To find peace with the past so that I can do and be and feel what is here for me now. There's a, 
I get to live longer than all of my ancestors. I have more comfort and ability to do so many things that my ancestors did. It's amazing. And to be at peace with my past feels like I'm able to step into my present moment more fully and not miss out on this now. Well said. I agree. Last question. Where can people find you? Um, (laughs) (laughs) People can find me at universemonologues.com. That's my website. And there's a free gift up there for anybody who wants to practice what I call Yoni Pulses, which is an embodiment practice that combines breath work. And it's both a calming practice and a vitality practice in one. And I'm creating that over over there for anybody who wants to go a little bit deeper. Oh, and of course, you can watch the stories um, through the website, but you can also go to YouTube and watch um, the past storytellers who have given me permission to share their stories with a greater audience. And those are all really worth watching. And we definitely are going to put the links to those in the show notes. So if you would like to learn more about the universe or Serena and her beautiful work, then please check that out. Serena, I'm, I'm very grateful for you. Mm. I'm grateful for your light, your, your passion, your dedication, your courage to help women have a voice. Thank you for sharing yours with me. I feel so lovingly witnessed and cared for in this podcast, Mm. this experience. Thank you for being such a generous host and creating a message that is also rippling out in your world, in your community. So many people are looking for a grounded state of place of peace and tranquility in their lives. And this is a place to come for, for that. So I'm honored to be a part of it. Thank you. Well, we'll do our work together. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And everyone, uh, remember that you are worthy of love and belonging and that you're enough. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you love the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to findingpeaceconsulting.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace five-day challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. It really does help other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. And a special thanks to Johnny Porter for producing the show and A.G. Flux for the new background music. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.